We're continuing this series this morning called Let Worship Arise, and we're exploring what authentic worship looks like and answering the question, how do we worship? So this morning, I want to take some time and think about the role that our imagination plays in worship. Um, You know, our imagination is something that we are using all the time, and I don't know that we often stop to think about what it is and why it's there. I know in our conversation with the opening question, that was, that was what came up. I never thought about this. Um, so I don't know if you ever thought about the role your imagination plays, but what I want to offer you this morning is this. The imagination is the playground of the soul. Sounds deep, right? The imagination is the playground of the soul. Think about a teenage boy who's sitting in class in school daydreaming about the day he can leave and do something different that's more meaningful to his life. A young woman imagining holding her baby for the first time. A widow reminiscing about fond memories of the husband that's no longer at her side. A young man in love with a young woman reflecting on her beauty hearing a melody in his heart that he puts onto paper, creates his first song. A writer picturing a magical world where good triumphs over evil and puts pen to paper and begins their first book. A fisherman sitting in his office, gazing out the window, dreaming of the next big catch. A young girl barely school-age, sharing her conviction that she will be the first female president of the United States of America. An amateur chef envisioning a new dish that he can't wait to share with his friends. The imagination is the playground of our soul. And imagination plays a huge role in our faith. I don't know that we think about it often enough. Uh, Lots of words connected to Christianity that have imagination at the heart of it. Faith. The writer of Hebrews defines faith this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. Faith is to imagine a different reality. Uh, Similarly, hope. Hope is imagining a different future. Biblical hope really is imagining the future that God has laid out in Scripture, taking hope of that faith, believing that that future picture that God presents to us is reality and will come true. Love imagines a better future for someone else. Think about words we use in, when it comes to intimacy of seeing inside someone, of being able to read each other's minds, those moments where you're stuck daydreaming about the person that you're in love with, our imagination is in full flow. Think about the, the longings that we experience of love, whether it's love for a person or love for a thing, that we say things like, I just can't stop thinking about it. Something inside of us is working and imagining a different reality. Creativity and vision go together. Creativity to bring what's in our imagination out into the world and into being. So the worship songs we've just sang 
are someone's creative expression. They've listened to the truth of scripture. They've imagined a different reality. They've heard a melody in their hearts. They've penned some poetic wording. They've put them together to create something out of their imagination that hopefully will inspire our imagination. Uh, I'm like, do I see it? Evil. The distortion of our imagination, where we imagine things that we want and we take them no matter what it costs the people who are around us. For a moment, I want you to think about the, this, the title slide that we're using for this series, Imagination, Creativity, just for fun for a moment. If you look at this, there are arrows pointing up. Sky the other day, I was doing something on my computer and this was up in the background. She's like, Daddy, that's so beautiful. I was like, oh, that's cute. Um, She noticed something. Arrows up, our praise and our adoration ascending into heaven. It's humanity reaching for God. The triangle's pointing down, heaven's descent to meet us in worship. Him reaching down to us and bang in the middle is this diamond. The intersection of heaven and earth, the place where heaven is on earth. Uh, And then in the fuller slide, we've got the word worship bang in the middle of the diamond because worship happens in that intersection between heaven and earth. Look at it a little bit more. There's two triangles going up and there's two triangles coming down because there's our worship and there's God's reach, but it's not just for us. It spreads out and ripples and impacts the people around us. The colors, the rainbow of color from, rainbow, from Revelation 4, the throne room of God where all worship takes place 24-7. In the background, if you can see it, there's an ocean wave. Revelations 1.5 says his voice is like rushing water. It's the image of waves of love. Jesus who stands upon the seas. It's just a graphic, right? But it's designed to inspire imagination. It comes out of someone's creative imagination. Imagination births creativity. Imagination is the playground of our souls. God gave us it for a purpose. The Bible is constantly evoking our imagination, whether we realize it or not. Here's one of the throne room images. This is Isaiah chapter 6, rooted in history, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, or types of angels, each with six wings, With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, an image of the throne room of God intended to evoke evoke our imagination and draw us into the reality of the God that we worship. Hope. A little bit later in Isaiah chapter 11, he invokes our imagination to show us the transformed world that we're invited into and play a part in. Isaiah 11 verse 6 says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them, the cow will feed the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, no longer a carnivore. 
The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's a little clever moment in there. The young child puts his hand into the viper's nest. They don't harm or destroy one another. A healing and a restoration of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, where you're, the snake's going to bite your ankle and you're going to stomp on its head. This image of enmity between the tempter and humanity healed at this moment at the end of the world. Our imagination is invoked as we see these animals that would normally eat one another lying together, as we see these moments of danger overcome with safety and the knowledge of God filling the earth as the water covers the sea. Hope to see and imagine the end of the story, Revelation 21, right at the end, invoking our imagination and painting a vision of a different reality. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Perhaps more simply, we see it in Jesus as he uses parables. Why didn't he communicate to us clearly? Because he wanted to invoke our imagination. He says simply, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field just so he could get that treasure. The parables invitations to imagine. The Bible as a whole, pick whatever genre you want from the historical documents to the biographical accounts of Jesus to prophetic literature to poetry, um, all of it to the parables of Jesus, all of it there to invoke our imagination and invite us to put ourselves into the story to see to see the world as it really is, to see heaven as it should be, to see God and who he is, to see our brokenness, to see the hope of redemption, to see the transformation that he wants us to be a part of as we navigate the world. The imagination is the playground of the soul. And again, we don't often realize it, but the imagination plays a role in shaping how we navigate in the world. Your imagination is dictating what you do day in, day out, how you treat other people, what jobs you take, what you do. The imagination shapes how we navigate the world. Marketing firms know this. If they can get you imagining life with this new broomstick, making your life so much better, you will invest the money to buy the broomstick. If they can evoke enough fear in your imagination that your dishwasher might break tomorrow, they will motivate you to buy an insurance policy because when the, show's over, when the, the commercial finishes, your mind's going, oh, well, what if it does break tomorrow? Oh, it's kind of old. Yeah, maybe I should get a shirt. Maybe I should get a new dishwasher. They're playing with their minds. Marketing knows it. Hollywood gets it. They're constantly toying with their imagination. Disney is the master of this. 
People spend ridiculous amounts of money to head down to California or over to Florida to be in the place where our wildest imagination is real in front of us and we get the joy of watching our kids interact with Tinkerbell and get the little bit of glitter sprinkled on themselves, believing that they might be able to fly. We spend millions uh, because these people play in a beautiful way with our imagination. What is the American dream? It's an imagination that is given to us. People traveled from the old world to the new world because they imagined in this new world they could have a better life and a better experience. They could better themselves. Even the title New World captured the imagination. This is the old world. If I go there, it's new and it's better and it's more exciting. So let's leave and go. Uh, We live in this world in the US chasing the American dream. And I'm not saying this is a negative thing. We've been given a cultural imagination of how we can engage the world. And it motivates what we do as we live here. I think perhaps this statement, the imagination shapes how we navigate our world, I think perhaps we see it more clearly in the negative. Fear of failure. We imagine that if I take on this endeavor, it's not going to work. And so rather than do it, we just stay exactly where we are. Fear of rejection stops us of confessing our love to our best friend. It stops us sharing the gospel with the person next to us. It stops us making invites to people because we imagine that if I do this, this is going to be the result. Uh, some people in the room, you are uh, constantly caught up in worst case scenario thinking. It's going to go wrong. Do I have the band? I, I, I'm going to the park with the kids. Do I have the band-aids? Do I have snacks? Do I have spare house keys? Do, like, do I have my phone and my backup phone and my charger? Like something might go wrong. I've got to be prepared to every eventuality. Our imagination, imagining a reality that doesn't exist, motivates our behavior. Um, our worry at what the world is becoming can cause us to withdraw from people, to judge people, to criticize people, to hole up inside the walls of the church where things feel safer. Imagination shapes how we navigate this world. King Solomon, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. this is a famous verse. He wrote, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word vision here is vision or revelation or divine insight. This is good God-given imagination. Without a vision for how we live, without revelation from God about how we're supposed to be in the world, people perish. And we see it when we see someone hold up at home. Uh, we look at them and go, They've just lost. they have no sense of purpose in life. We feel it in ourselves. I feel aimless right now. I've transitioned from working to retirement. I don't know what to do with my life. It's really, I have no vision. I have no imagination for what this new season of life can look like because I'm so used to the patterns that I had before. Imagination is shaping how we move in the world. Most of us in the room, if we're, if we're honest, we want a clearer vision for how we live our lives. Most of us catch ourselves at points imagining a different reality. 
the beautiful part of Scripture, or the overarching message of Scripture, God is offering us a vision. He's inviting us to use our imagination to see our role as players in this worshiping community, a community who are committed to one another, who share generously, who radically love and serve one another, who go out into the world as transformed beings full of hope and confidence and joy and boldness and offer hope to the world. A community of people who will challenge the oppressive systems, helping tear them down, making peace, seeing transformation, reconciling people who won't talk to each other. All of that as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who did it first, the one who walked on the earth with no distortion to his imagination, fully understanding and fully imagining what it would look like for the kingdom to be here on earth. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Perhaps one of the issues with churches in the Western world today and the decline of many denominations and the, 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 the struggle of many churches is that they've lost an imagination for what it looks like to be bearers of the message of the kingdom as we walk in the world. We can't overlook the fact that our imaginations need to be redeemed. <laughs> Anyone in here think their imagination at times might not be entirely holy? Scotty, I hear what you're saying that our imagination shapes how we walk through the world. I hear what you're saying, that God's given us an imagination that is the playground of the soul. But have you watched Game of Thrones? Have you seen inside my mind? Have you seen the horrible things that I imagine? Scotty, for every good moment of imagining, I wish pain on people. I lust, I crave possessions. If I let you in here, you'd see how dark it is, right? Am I the only one that needs redemption of my imagination? Right? Our imagination needs to be redeemed. God creates man in his image, the creator, the one who imagined everything that we see. He imagined and created. He makes us in his image. Part of that image bearer is that we are now creative imaginers who can bring things into being in the world. But it doesn't take long. Chapter one, God creates. Chapter three, we fall. Chapter six of Genesis. We're six chapters into the Bible, only a couple of pages into the Bible. This is Genesis six, chapter five. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Let me retranslate this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human uh, race had become on the earth and that his imagination was only evil all the time. Humanity turned from God. We turn from God and our imagination darkens. Rather than coming up with creative ways to worship, we invent new ways to rebel. Romans 1 tells us that we invent ways of doing evil. We invent crucifixes and guns and bombs and pornography websites. We invent racial slurs and caste systems and cuss words. We invent ways to rebel and belittle and diminish. We invent ways to make more money at the expense of other people. 
Rather than invent ways to worship and steward what God has given us, we turn our imaginations on ourselves and against the people that God has placed around us. So our imaginations need to be redeemed. Another famous verse, Romans 12.1, Paul says this. Now, I want you to pay attention to the imagination and its relationship to worship here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, mind, heart, soul, strength, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper worship. Our proper worship is to give ourselves fully to him. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. In other words, don't let the world form and dictate your imaginings, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you will then be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We live culturally, contextually, in Western, post-enlightenment, post-reformation America. What that means is we live in a part of the world where when we think mind, we automatically go to ration and reason. So when we think the renewing of your mind, we often think believe the right things, have the right doctrines in place, get your system of thinking corrected, and we forget that the renewing of our mind includes a renewing of our imagination. That part of our mind that thinks and dreams and wonders and creates So part of our true and proper worship involves a renewed imagination that then tests and approves of what God's will is and knows how to enact that in this world. I was struck recently in my Bible read-through in Ephesians chapter 4, this passage that I've seen and read so many times, it tells us to put off the old self and put on the new. So you were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and then to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So I read this and it says, put off the old which is bad and put on the new self. To put on the new self, we need to have a vision or an imagining of what that new life is supposed to look like. We need a vision of a different way of being that shows us what is wrong in our life so that we can put it off and put it on. Now, I'm sure people in the room have seen this a million times before I did, but I'd never actually noticed what happened in between putting off the old self and putting on the new. It says, be made new in the attitude of your mind. You need renewed mind. You need renewed imagination. You need renewed thinking and renewed vision. The crux between the old self and the new self is your imagination reinvigorated with the vision of how we're supposed to live in the kingdom of God. If you're looking at your life and saying, everything about my life is wonderful, I don't do anything wrong, come take my job, please. (laughs) Save me. Um, If that's you, you don't have an adequate or accurate vision of what Jesus came to accomplish and what it looks like to be a believer. Because once we have that vision and the more we see that vision magnified, the more we see the small ways that our lives fall short of that standard. Equally, if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm really aware of my shortcomings. I'm really aware of the ways that my life falls short. I know the old and I've been trying to put off the old self unsuccessfully. 
then for you, part of the problem is you don't have the right vision or the right imagination of what the new life is supposed to be and what the power is that we're supposed to be tapping in to get there. We need a different vision that we can't do it ourselves, that we need Jesus, that we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that we need community around us, that it takes radical vulnerability and transparency and honesty with people, that it takes mutual accountability where we submit to the instructions and the advice of other people in order to live differently. And that we need the encouragement of people that as we're trying to put off the old and put off the new that they're seeing, I saw this week that you bit your tongue instead of grumbling and criticizing. I saw this week that rather than slander that person, you you held back. I saw this week that you gave generously to someone in need rather than do your own thing. We need a new vision. We need people to come alongside us in that. Sin has infected our being. This is the crux of the biblical message. I find myself looking at what's going on in the world right now. Okay, Israel and Gaza, who's right and what's the solution? And I find myself going, it doesn't matter who you think is right. It doesn't matter what the solution is. So long as there is sin and brokenness, there will be division. There is no solution to the conflict without sin being defeated. Sin has affected our lives. It turns us away from God and others into ourselves and our own desires. And we need a solution to that evil inside of us. We need a power source that enables us to disconnect from that infection in us so that we can overcome our selfishness and work differently in the world. Bible 101, Jesus enters the picture. He defeats the power of sin and death. Uh, and, and through Jesus and intimacy with him, we enter into the vision of a loving God who delights in us, who sacrificed his own comfort for us, who sent his spirit to indwell us so that we would be enlivened and empowered to live differently in the world. Jesus came to correct the wrong vision that the people of God had, a vision that was we can fix this by the law in and of itself just by strict obedience. And Jesus came to present a different vision of what it looked like to follow God, one where our eyes are fixed on the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're enabled to overcome our fallen imagination and create a new vision of our role and purpose in this world and walk out into the world enacting that different vision and that different world. And more than that, inviting the people that we come in contact with to have a better vision of this world and their role in it, that they can have freedom from worry and anxiety, that there is reconciliation where there's been division, that their past does not define them. And that they get to have a role and a purpose of infinite magnitude as they live out in this world. Our imagination needs to be redeemed. Finally, when it comes to worship, and this is why we're talking about this right now, we need to re-engage our imagination when it comes to how we worship. It's very easy to sing a song and just sing, and it's okay to sing for the enjoyment of it, but what happens if in the worship moment we re-engage our imagination as we worship? What if we ask God to give us a vision of who he is 
as we then allow these songs to express those truths to him. What would be different about the way you worshipped if you imagined that God was sitting right next to you in the room? Would you worship any differently if you believed he was right next to you and had his arm around you? Would you sing loudly? Or would you listen quietly? What difference is it if God is up there and you've got to shout loud so he can hear you? Or if he's right next to you, whispering into your ear? What would happen in your worship if instead of imagining yourself in a basketball court, you pictured yourself in the throne room of heaven where the scriptures say the train of his robe fills the temple, that there's lightning and colors and angelic beings crying out. What would happen if you fully believed that worship happens in the diamond where heaven and earth come together and heaven joins us in our worship as we're swept up into the throne room? What would happen to our worship if we dreamt in worship of a world that truly was without pain and suffering where there were no more tears. And we allowed that vision to influence how we sing to him. What would happen if we took the people around us who are ill or struggling and suffering and we imagined them free and healed in the presence of God? What if we bring it all to the one who's in all and through all and over all? In pre-service prayer this morning, we we take time at the end of our intercession to just stop and listen and say, God, is there anything that you want us to hear today? One of the things that was on my heart was thinking about vision and imagination was, was just to invite you to consider your life as we come into worship. As you look at your role on the earth and your role in the kingdom of God, are you satisfied with the part that you're playing? Do you feel that you're living your faith to the fullest? That you're taking all the gifts and the knowledge that you have and you're having the impact that you want on the world around you? How does God want to use you? I wanna invite you as we're worshiping to close the service to think about that question and say, how does God want to use me? What would it look like to be used to my fullest? Is what I'm doing right now, is this it all? Or is there more? Or is there something different that God wants for me? And in that place of imagining a different reality for our life, listening to God for it, let that change how we worship. As we engage the songs, think differently. So that's a lot of questions and and imaginings that you can engage in. But on Sunday morning, we're engaging in the creative imagining of someone else. They've penned the words of these songs. They've put the melodies together. So as you engage the words, ask God to help you picture the realities that the songs are singing, to help you feel what is being sung. And a song, I don't think we're doing it this morning, but a song that repeats, Jesus, we love you, Jesus, we love you. Now, if God is way distant, it feels really weird to be sitting and being like, we love you, we love you, we love you. Um, if God is right here next to us, it's really easy to turn to him and be like, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. One scripture to finish with is this. In light of all of that, end of Ephesians 3, tells us 
that we are free to imagine, but God is going to blow all of those imaginings out of the water. Because to him, who's able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that right now is at work within you, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to invite Reuben back up wherever he disappeared to there he is. Um, to lead us in some songs. And as we finish with singing, I want to invite you to re-engage your imagination. Now, some people in the room are like, yeah, I'm a really creative, imagining, imaginative person. Like I paint, I do art, I build quilts, I see things that don't exist. Some people in the room are like, I'm not very imaginative. I'm an engineer. I'm a mathematician. I'm a very logical person. And I just want you to think through everything we've talked about right now. You're imagining all the time. You're projecting what your wife thinks of you. You're projecting what people are going to say. You're imagining what the world's going to look like with whatever candidate uh, wins the election next. So I'm inviting you to tap into this thing that you're using every moment of every day of your life and turn it back to him as we re-offer all of our body to him as an instrument.